Hello and welcome to The Promise Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett ahead of the Manchester Derby. Uh, a big, big test of Man United's newfound form, newfound metal. They haven't played a game for ages though, Rob, so it's nice to have the football back. It's a weird season, isn't it? Like We're at the start of the campaign here and it, it feels like everything kind of stopped for a bit, didn't it? So this is a huge game for Manchester United, but also I think a huge game for Man City because they also want to prove and continue to prove that they're the best team in the league. And they're coming up against a team who are resurgent. So it's a let's wait and see, I think, if you're a United fan. But at the same time, it's, it's a much more interesting derby match than maybe we've had in previous seasons. Yeah, uh, United only do have a small sample size of four matches that they've played well in in the Premier League. Uh, but it does seem like they've turned a corner and they've beaten Arsenal, they've beaten Liverpool. Man City have dropped some points, perhaps uncharacteristically, but looked uh, quite terrifying with the fact that Erlen Haaland is now their main central striker. Scored a lot of goals and I think most are tipping him to score a few more against United as well this weekend. But what can United do? We'll talk about that today. Uh, we'll probably go in that direction for most of the show, I would imagine. But we'll also talk a little bit about um, Christopher and Kunku uh, at the start of the show. And then we'll get, because there's news about him uh, potentially going to Chelsea. And then we'll dig in to the derby. So we will... Just get through all of the little plugs first, because I, I need to do that. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And watch us on YouTube twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, join the community, and leave a comment. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. On Twitter, find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Let's start with Nkunku, Rob, because the suggestions... Obviously, Ralph Rangnick really wanted him at United when during his spell as whatever he was, <laughs> uh, manager, sporting director, absent, you know, I, I, very, very odd spell. But he was one of the names that uh, he wanted. United have been linked with Nkunku on and off. And with a 60 million euro release clause kicking in next summer, I think me and you have spoken on this show suggesting that he might be one of the potential suitable signings for the problem position at centre forward because uh, he is flexible. He can play on the right, he can play on the left. He, he's quite versatile. Mm. But suggestions are from Germany and confirmed uh, by Matt Law from The Telegraph this morning, Friday morning, that Chelsea have wrapped up a deal for... Well, not wrapped up a deal. He's done a, uh, he's done a medical this summer or last summer now because we're starting to get cold. He's done a medical already ahead of a proposed move to Chelsea um, with that release clause meant to be kicking in later. But Chelsea have since changed their manager and it doesn't really look like Chelsea have much of a plan. So it's a little bit of a surprise to hear that this this has come out. And also, what if Chelsea have a disaster of a season? And it doesn't seem like Nkunku's tied into this, but he's done a medical already. It's, it's a bit of a weird one. What do you make of it? I think it's really strange. So not here to, to kind of debate about maybe what's true, what isn't true. But what I'll say is this, is that you don't sign a player who had a medical a year ago or even six months ago or even six weeks ago. It doesn't work like that. You have to have it all in order and in the right, correct placing. Now, as you said there about Nkunku, I think with the links with Chelsea are not a surprise. I said Chelsea have been linked to absolutely everyone on planet Earth. 
But I think the kind of spec, spec uh, kind of specifications of this, which come from Build, saying that yes, they've already done kind of medical due diligence. Why? What? Because there's a release clause. Well, what if someone else meets that release clause? What if the player doesn't want to go to Chelsea eventually? What if Chelsea don't want the player? It's, it's too much. There's too much there. I look at it like this. I think with someone like Nkunku, and I think what this might well be, is this might be creating a market for him before his release clause kicks in. So if his release clause kicks in in the summer and you've now got a World Cup happening, uh, it, de it depends about what clubs want to do, isn't it, in January? What if someone goes, bangs on the door and says, we want Nkunku for 100 million? That deal will get done. Doesn't matter what Chelsea want. So I think this is all very, very strange. And I think a little bit empty as well. There's, there's a lack of detail. And uh, I would have liked to have thought that I think with the way that our, our industry works, we'd have heard a lot more about this in the summer if uh, if Chelsea were conducting a medical for a player like the Koku. It's very odd. Um, quite weird. I mean, obviously... It... You know the the release clause is kicking in, and I guess that any team can can trigger it for that that fee, and it's kind of out of uh, out of his club's hands. And then it's about who the best suit is for it. But people are acting like this is done. So I mean, I don't I don't really know what to make of this. But it's Chelsea have done this in the past. They they secured Christian Pulisic, for example, months in advance, and they've done yeah. it with the likes of Hakim Ziyech as well, but not quite this far in advance. Um, and I just think Nkunku is one of those players that, you know, you wait to see how the season pans out. And then if, what if Chelsea have not the greatest season? What if someone, I'll take United as an example. I don't think that we're going to see United all singing, all dancing this year, but he's going to want to play in the Champions League. What if Chelsea miss out on it? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, a weird, um, it's a weird turn of events. It? It's a weird turn of events, and I, and I think that there's so many variables there. Like as you said, what you know, with Nkunku, what what if he has a terrible season? Doesn't score any goals? Chelsea going to activate his release clause? No, they're not. Uh, there's absolutely nothing strange about clubs doing lots of the work behind the scenes in a deal. So you know, the obvious one I think is like Haaland and City. That deal was done over like a year period. All the kind of you know T's crossed, I's dotted. Those things do happen. They happen regularly. But I probably think that at this stage with Nkunku, it's, it's more about Chelsea and the agent rather than, say, Chelsea and the club, which tells me that there would be no medical at this stage because that doesn't work like that. So whether maybe Chelsea just wanted to know about his general fitness, I don't know, but I've never heard that, of That's before. what strikes me as the most, uh, not obvious thing, but... Sensible thing to but do. But if you're his club and, and, a, and a suitor says, we want to sign your player in 12 months, can we start messing around with him medically and find out about him? If there was something wrong with Nkunku, you wouldn't want the marketplace to know about that. So you wouldn't let him just go to a club like Chelsea and talk physicality when you're trying to create a market for him. So I think this is why I'm a bit, I'm a bit nonplussed about it because I think build themselves as a kind of major media outlet in Germany uh, have kind of put this out there with a, with not a lot of detail, you know, kind of bits and bobs. Yeah, of course Chelsea want Nkunku. Of course Man United want Nkunku. Every top team will want him if he has a great season and his release clause makes him even more kind of delectable. However, it also means that if he has an amazing season this year, his club will get more than 60 million for him. He'll go on to the open market. But, well, but they, they can't, though, because they can't. They can't, but if there's a bidding war, they can. 
So if Man United come in and gazump them, it's up to the player then to say, no, actually, no, I want to go to Chelsea and I've got a release clause. The release clause benefits the player more than anyone else at the end of the day. If Man United come in and say, actually, we'll pay more than that release clause, it then becomes... Why, a would, they, why would they do that, though? Because they want, to, they want to strong arm it. They want to actually show that they want the player more and that they will pay more money for the player. It's happened before. Quite often, release clauses do work like that. You know, not, not every time there's a release clause that player goes for that money. But if Chelsea want the player and the player wants to go there, then of course his club have got no no chance of keeping him because the release clause allows him to leave. But then if he goes on the open market and there's a bidding war, they can say that. They can say, right, open open to bidders then now. You know, who wants the player? And then Kunku might feel, feel that. He might say, do you know what? I don't want to go to Chelsea. Like you just said there, they're not in the Champions League. I'm not going there. So there might be a release clause that Chelsea can trigger but then the player has got a say in it as well. So I will say that release clauses always favour the player and the agent because then they can go and conduct different kinds of business because if you meet that release clause, then the selling club has less power. But of course, these things do happen. They go into a bidding war. Say Harland didn't want to go to Man City. He didn't have to go there. Do you know what I mean? Just because there was a release clause. It's just that it allows him to do it. So it gives the player that power. So I think it's a let, let's wait and see. Chelsea's, I think, future might be different. You said Graham Potter's there now. And yet they did this in the summer, they said, in Frankfurt. It's a bit strange. I'm sure Manchester United will be knocking on the door. Yeah. Uh, from your perspective, if he is on the market, and Kunku, the type of signing that you would like Man United to make... Absolutely. And, you know, we're already, I think, in a world where we're talking post-Cristiano. So who is Cristiano's replacement? And I think there'll be a lot of chat about that going into the World Cup and into the transfer window. As I keep saying, I think the World Cup this year is a dress rehearsal for the transfer window. I think there'll be more miles in January talked about who's going where and what, depending on on what happens at the tournament. But I think Nkunku is the kind of player that you'll be looking for. But he's obviously not the only striker in the world. It depends how Ten Hag feels at that point, say two, three months into the project. You know, does he, you know, does he want to stick with Rashford? Does he want to stick with Martial? Uh, or does he want a different kind of striker? Because by that time there, he might be looking for his Sebastian Haller. He might be looking for that type, kind of striker to come in and supplement all the moving pieces at Manchester United. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's let's move on to the chat. I'm, I'm sick of transfers. Uh, the Derby chat. <laughs> because it, it, it is, it is a big, Big game for United. Big game for City as well, but they are... Um, well, they're not top of the league, are they? Arsenal top of the league. Uh, and they have a big game themselves this weekend. So it'll be yeah. an interesting one, especially uh, coming off the back of an international break. It always seems, seems to catch me like just a little bit off guard because it wasn't until yesterday, like recording this on Friday, it wasn't until yesterday that I was like, oh, the, the football's back and there's some pretty important games coming up. You, you, yeah. you don't really have that time and that build-up of, you know, if this was coming in, say, like the, the week before the international break. And obviously United haven't played for ages uh, in the Premier League anyway because of uh, the Queen's funeral, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's given Eric Ten Hag a little bit more time to perhaps work with his players, work with his team. Uh, and he has some big decisions to make, actually. But we'll get to that in a second. But what does what does this game represent for both teams? Do you think this 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 specific game, not the derby itself? We all know what that means. I think the truth is obviously there's there's our derby here, and there's obviously the North London derby as well. And there's obviously the normal bragging rights around those things. 
I think what's most interesting this season is the gap between all of the clubs has shrunk. So you're not you're not getting this kind of runaway effect of City and Liverpool and then everyone else kind of just chasing. It feels that I think with this last transfer market, with managerial cha- changes and just with normal evolution at some of these football clubs, Arsenal, I think, are a really good example. You, they've just got better. So I think that these t- these these games now have a little bit more relevance because it allows you to look at the opposition and not just say, right, we can catch this lot, but say, oh, do you know what? We're better than we were 12 months ago or six months ago. And I think that's what this is about for Ten, for Ten Hag. I think the narrative around this derby match is, can Ten Hag live with Pep Guardiola on a football pitch? Now, I think most of us, in the game, believe that that's true, that he can do. But this is where you kind of, everything's the meat and potatoes, isn't it? You actually see it. It's system versus system. You know, it's Haaland versus Martinez. It's all these kind of matchups of the deals that you've done in the summer and that they now they now mean something in a football match. Like you said there, with, with the Queen's funeral and the postponements and things like that, football's been put on hold. And it also puts the intellectual property on hold. You kind of, you stop thinking about it for a little bit, don't you? And then it creeps up on you. I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's no, there's no doubt that, of course, Man United would have used all of this time to prepare behind the scenes. And this is, I think, what Ten Hag would have been doing. He'd be looking at this game and thinking, right, fingers crossed I get no injuries in the international break. But what am I going to do when we turn up at Eastlands? How am I going to play? So I don't think we're going to see, stylistically, a massive change. I think we'll see Ten Hag football. And he'll try and take, I think, City on with maybe a little bit more structure in terms of of how United play. Will they go out and press madly? I doubt it. Will they look after the territory? Will it be more like a mid-block? Probably. But there's so many little, I think, narratives within the game, player to player, that make this game really interesting. Yeah, I mean... I'm looking at last season. I'm think I said this on a show I was on yesterday that United beat Liverpool the other week. I know Liverpool aren't what they were last season in the early weeks of this season, but Liverpool turned up to Old Trafford last season and won five nil. And then Man United this season have won three one. I know the, the personnel has changed a little bit, but you know City destroyed United in this fixture last season. And it was an absolute you know mess of a performance from United. Jaden Sancho scored a goal, but you know, I got massively criticized that day for the system that they played. Mm. I think it was two number tens or, or you know, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was Fernandez and Pogba up front, wasn't it? With an four narrow... six zero or something yeah, like that. Some, something <laughs> like that. Um but you know Ten Hag has come in, made his changes, uh Brentford, the fork in the road, etc, etc. Um and I'm kind of interested to see how he approaches this because I think we know what the back four will be. Um, that's been pretty evident that that's his preferred back four plus De Gea. Hmm. Um, I'm looking... He, he, it does seem to me like he has a preferred 11 in mind, but there's that Casemiro uh, option as well, which hasn't come into play yet. So I want to I want to talk about the attack in a minute, but let's start with the midfield because Ericsson, Christian Eriksson has been so vital to... United's transition mm. and quality. Bruno Fernandes, you're not going to drop, I, I I would suspect. And Scott McTominay has been really good in the last four games. But you have that Casemiro expensive signing, one that won it all in the Champions League numerous times. Figure like looming over the midfield. It's like, when is he going to come in? When is he going to come in? I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking, A, I'm a little bit worried about City's possession and... Yeah. United's ability to live with them if they go with Eriksen, Fernandez, and McTominay. 
And then maybe there's a suggestion that he does Casemiro and McTominay plus one, and maybe Bruno on the right or something like that, because he's drifted out there later in games. But I don't think I think he's going to stick with what he's got. I think Casemiro might be on the bench again. I could be wrong, but it'll be certainly quite interesting to see how it. Well, maybe he puts Bruno Fernandez in the in the false nine position, and Christian Eriksen a little bit further forward, Casemiro and Tomine. But what do, what do you think he's going to do? Because it's it's a hard one to predict. He, he seems like he's going to stick to his guns, and I, I I do like that about him. But it is a little bit risky. I think he's going to do two things, and you took the words out of my mouth there. I think he'll play a full system, so I think he'll play Bruno up top. He'll play Eriksen deeper. Because they they trialed that earlier in the season, and it's not a case of whether it didn't work or did work. It's more of a case of shape and what you want to achieve. And I think at Manchester City, you're not going to play deep and all out counter attack. You're going to play counter press. That's what you'll do. So I think this is where looking at trying to negate City's ability to keep the ball, you want to be able to get in their faces quickly. So I think that's why you play a full system. You play you play uh, with Bruno Fernandes being more of a wandering player, kind of having to do the work in that centre of the park. You maybe release Christian Eriksen a little bit more to maybe get the ball higher up and play that one killer pass. You play through the line and you get going. And then if you've got Rashford, then if you've got Sancho, you use those as the wide players to kind of spread the play and to kind of get going on the front foot. So I think tactically that's what makes most sense. Um, United are not going to go to Manchester City and play kind of ten hard ball with them. They're not going to go there and say, do you know what, we'll play possession against you. It would be crazy, wouldn't it? They're better than you at it. So you can play some possession, but I think it's going to be the counter press. It's going to be not, it's going to be a kind of like Ralph Ranier, Gagan, uh, Gagan pressing style. It's going to be like, let's get the ball quickly, one, two passes, and let's get going. I think you'll also see from the back, David De Gea will be playing those balls much longer over into channels. And then you play a little bit more percentages, Scott. You know what I mean? The ball drops, you get the ball, you get the ball to someone like Ericsson, and you let him create and let him play. I think the facts as well, you know, the question around, say, Cristiano, whether you go with, with someone like Ronaldo in this game, I think this is where you will see Ten Hag's long-term objectives. And that is he will look at someone like Man City and he'll think, I can't play Ronaldo against a team like this. He just he cannot do it. He can't, can he? Cannot do it because you give up way too much work rate, too much, uh, too much kind of fortitude in the middle of the pitch to allow you to service this guy up top and... No, Ronaldo, 20, 30-minute cameo, I think, like he has been doing. I think that's the way it's going to stay. And I think just because Martial's injuries are still prevalent, something that United have to deal with, it gives you that feeling that they'll go and play a full system at Man City. We are we are recording this ahead of uh, the press conference that Eric Ten Hag will do mm-hmm. on Friday afternoon. Uh, so as yet, we don't know the latest on uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. Martial's been out for a, a while. I think the only... Uh, football he's really played this season competitively is the is in the Liverpool game in the second mm. half. Yeah, um, Rashford, I've he missed the international break with England. Was probably meant to actually be in that squad, but re- withdrew with injury. Yeah, uh, I believe. It seems like to me that I think Rashford is quite important here, uh, mm. and I do think that if he's fit, he will play because of that threat in behind that he's offered against the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal. I think. While City might be able to cope with it, Rashford has previous against City as well um, in this fixture. And he does offer that threat in behind that the likes of Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes can find. So, so do you think, if Rashford is fit, do you think that you'd still be looking at the likes of Bruno at false nine and then Rashford, Sancho or Anthony on the wings? 
or would you put Rashford through the middle? Yeah, like we've not mentioned Anthony yet, and obviously he's the big new star sign. And I do think the intentions of how you use Anthony have a big effect on Rashford and the formation overall. But you're right, Marcus has got previous from Man City. Obviously, he's a Mancunian as well. It means something to him. But it's more about, I think, Ten Hag's versatility in these games. What can you change within the game when he sets up? You know, if something disastrously goes wrong in the football match, what options have you got? To have pace on your pitch is always really important. I get the feeling that this will be more geared towards let's see what we can get out of Anthony rather than what we can get out of Rashford. So Rashford has had this injury. I think that whether it stops him playing or not, I think is a is a bigger question. I think you might find the manager today trying to predict this. He might well say, well, yeah, he's still got a knock. Well, he might not have a knock, but he's not going to tell you it's presser, just mm-hmm. the truth. Um but I think when you look at it, it's about how do you utilise Anthony in those wider areas and Delo. So I think Delo as well on that side. Can you overload on the right and hurt Man City in a fullback position? I think that's a possibility, especially the way with the way that Cancelo goes wandering. You could maybe exploit that. But I think with Rashford, uh, the question is going to be this year, isn't it? About does he play through the middle? Do you use him through the middle? Do you use him as a centre forward? And I think in this game, Scott, probably not. I think like I think when Martial is fit, Martial. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's a de facto nine. He will play that system as Martial being the link player in there, coming in and out, coming for the ball and helping. Don't really think Marcus is very good at that. I think Marcus can definitely give you something on the front foot. And he's finishing the ball better this year, isn't he? I think we've seen that. You know, there's a there's more confidence about him. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him either come off the bench or it depends really how you want to use Sancho as well here. So there's much more moving parts, isn't there, Scott, about that are, that are positive. You know, it's these quite are nice, like actually, because I, I, I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, Really good nice. problems to have that you've got a, a, a batch of quality and you can now pick through it to hurt a team like Man City. I think what we've seen with Man City this year it's maybe a little bit of blue sky thinking, sky blue thinking, is that they've not been as good defensively. They do look a little bit more vulnerable through the middle of the park into those channel areas. I think John Stones got injured for England the other day Mm -hmm. as well. Another defensive option taken out. Diaz, I think, is fit, but hasn't played many, many games. Laporte, I think, is still out. So there are questions for Man City defensively that let's hope for Man United today are not there. So United's back four looks fit. You're also seeing Luke Shaw coming back. Harry Maguire got two uh, 90 minutes for England pretty much. So that's a positive. These are all good things for Ten Hag now to sift through, to be able to put a team out there, to say to Man City, right, we're coming to take you on. We're not just coming here to sit back and maybe what Ole would have done, play counter punch and see what happens. We're going to come here and play some actual football and put it on the deck because we've got some very good players ourselves. We jumped to the to the front line hmm. uh, without... Uh... I just wanted to uh, jump back to the midfield. Yeah, what would you what would you do with Casemiro? I'd put him on a bench. This is the problem with how, Casemiro. How would you figure if if, you, if you're putting Fernandez at nine, you, who features in midfield? The only reason why I think we feel this need to see Casemiro, or we feel this urge that Casemiro must start now starting matches, is because he costs sixty million quid. 
and he's on hundreds and hundreds of thousand pounds a week and you kind of told the world that this was your Frankie Dion replacement but he's not you know you've got to go with form haven't you so mm. I think it's more about not what you do with Casemiro but it's what you do with Christian Eriksen so if Eriksen is going to carry on his role maybe playing a little bit deeper and you've got Scott McTominay besides him or doing some of the running I think you're probably going to stick with that if you're going to change formation and play with an out-and-out defensive midfielder, yeah, you play Casemiro. I cannot see Man United doing that. I don't think they're going to sit deep and do that role. Now, I think Casemiro's got to work to get into the team. You know, the kind of little cameos we've seen have been a little bit hit or miss. And I think Ten Hag will be saying, right, patience here. I've got players on form and I'm going to pick those players because they deserve it. And then Casemiro will, will be in when he be when he comes into the team. Do not be surprised if Casemiro gets used a lot less this season than people thought he would, just because, Scott, he's like, you know, he's not old, but he's getting older. And I think we mentioned it in one of the previous games, you know, when, when he got out-sprinted, he got out-sprinted quite badly. Now, if you're a manager, you are looking at that and going, that's a problem because I can't fix sprinting, can't make him quicker. So let's see what happens. I think if Man United evolve their system over time to have a defensive midfielder and out-and-out, number six sitting deeper, then you'll probably go with Casemiro. But I think um, I would say our boy Scott McTominay has spoiled a lot of that for Man United fans who wanted to see that. Is there a shout here for Anthony Alanga to potentially come in? Or is this a bench option? Or maybe if, if Rashford isn't fit, for example, does he come into the to the to the picture? I think absolutely yes. And that would have been the choice pre- Anthony coming to the football club. So I think now the, f- the fact that you've now got a bona fide wide player who's going to do that kind of more of a winger thing and double up with a fullback, like we said, Delo's on form at the moment, then I think that kind of takes the Alanga option off the table if it's all about fitness. So if it's because Martial's not playing and Rashford's not playing, and of course, I think he trusts Alanga. I think he's happy for Alanga to do that function, especially on the left. But now you've got to balance this up, Scott, haven't you? You've got, you've got Sancho. Do you play him left or right? Well, it looks like he'll play more to the left now because you've brought Anthony. He's almost definitely going to play on the right. So these positions start to pick themselves, don't they, in a way that we haven't seen at Man United for quite a long time, for like well over a year. And I think that's how the manager wants it because that helps with your training. It helps with your tactics. You get players doing other things. Alanga, he could start. Man United fans would go mad about that. No, they would, yeah. But but <laughs> it, 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 it's not about what Man United fans want. Man United fans would pick Casemiro tomorrow. They would do. But the reason why they can't pick him for that game on Sunday is because he's not quite on form yet. He's not quite doing the things that the manager wants him to do. Uh, he's a world-class player in terms of his history and the amount of things that he's won. But like Cristiano, Cristiano's a world-class player. If you allow him just to be Cristiano Ronaldo, if you want to do a system or you know play against an opponent or set up properly, you're probably not going to play him. So there's a lot of variables here. He said, I think the defence is really interesting because that's become settled and it's going to be about you know defence versus that big guy up top you know, the big Norwegian who's now going to become the elite superstar, I think, of the Premier League. Uh, and that's going to be one of the narratives, I think, that runs all the way up to to the whistle. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. I just want to, did, did just want um, ahead of the game to let you know that it's not in the traditional Sky Sports Super Sunday slot, this one. And yeah. I, I knew this before, but I was reminded of it yesterday. It's the, it's the 2 p.m. UK kickoff. And then there's the tasty prospect of Leeds versus Aston Villa after it is the main course for the day. 
a little bit weird. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. A little bit weird for us, but a very, very obvious reason why that is. And that's for the Asian market. So the game is played in the evening because this is how Premier League now does it. And it also means that you get the breakfast slot in America. So you, the, the 2 p.m. kickoff will become much more coveted and much more valuable to the Premier League than, say, it would have been over the last two, three, four, five years because those guys in America get up to watch the games and they're quite happy doing that breakfast slot. And then you've got the guys in Asia who are obviously Premier League fanatics who will get to watch it at a decent time. I think the four o'clock slot is still coveted in both sides uh, of the Atlantic. You know, you can still play that game, but the two o'clock is definitely becoming a much more valuable commodity to the Premier League. So uh, in front of the world, we will see the battle of the height Oh, it, it honestly, it's just maybe, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe, maybe all this talk about the height will, you know, Harlan six foot four versus Lisandro Martinez five foot nine. Uh, the point is that I made yesterday that most Man United fans will make is they came across each other in the Champions League last season, and Harlan was on the wrong end of a four nil defeat with Lisandro Martinez on the opposition side. I think he missed the reverse game between Ajax and Dortmund. But how do you, uh, do you see this as the the individual battle playing out, or is uh, Harlan gonna maybe pull on Varane, or is this is this the one where he feels like he can take advantage most? And and, and do you feel how do you look at City now? Do you feel they're a better team with Harland in, or have they lost something? I don't know if they're a better team yet. They're still immensely dangerous, and I think. We've seen that Haaland, uniquely at a team like Manchester City, who are a possession-based team, doesn't really need to touch the ball a lot yeah. to score goals. Now, that's the frightening bit because it means that he could have 12 touches in a game and score a hat-trick. And that's not good because it means how do you mark a player that only touches the ball 12 times in a game? You actually want a player to touch the ball more so your shape can complement what they're doing. You want them to be involved so you can actually set up. It's very hard to, to, to track a striker that really doesn't touch the ball much, but when he does, he scores. That's almost impossible. So I think that, that City, I don't think we can say at the moment they are a better team. It's about how do their moving pieces all work. you know. So I think keeping Bernardo Silva this year was massive for them because I think that means that they are a better team. I think Gundogan looks like he's playing more of an advanced role again, more of a kind of box-to-box -box eight this year. That benefits them, definitely. I think De Bruyne seems to be happy with everyone. And then you look at the other parts. Foden, I think, kind of marries a lot better with Haaland than, say, other players. But then you've got Grealish. So all of those players have still got things to prove, I think, in many ways. I think especially Jack Grealish, you know, the, the spectacular £100 million substitute. Um <laughs> I think that these are the kind of stages that they want. I think someone like Grealish would want to prove himself. At the same time, I think Man United would be quite happy to see Jack Grealish in the team in this in this kind of match. So you just said there about uh, Martinez in the matchups. I think I think obviously Varane is more likely to match up with Haaland simply in terms of stature. But I think Martinez in the first five minutes will be giving Haaland a really good kick. Yeah, of course. And and we've actually seen it almost in every game that Martinez has put his marker down. Yeah. He did it, he did it against Liverpool, didn't he? Like he did in it, the first yeah. few minutes. He and he walked past Mo Salah and just yeah. like shoulder well, barge. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, first we tackled him first, went yeah. into the tackle, got up, and then rather than maybe jogging back to position like Harry Maguire might have done or Lindelof, he went 
bang into you, mate. You know I'm here now. I'm excited. I'm did nothing for the rest of the game, so yeah. I don't think that that. Like, I think he, did, Harlan, he did score. To, in fairness to him, he did score. Don't remember that. Anyway, <laughs> well, I think we won the game. Uh, but I, I think ultimately, I think that you you'll see Martinez that he will kind of stick one on on Harland. But I don't think Harland will react in a kind of timid way. Harland himself, I think, is quite a, a force of nature. I think he enjoys the physical side of the game, which mm-hmm. is why the Premier League's perfect for him. Um, and I think then it's more about tracking his runs into the box because if he wants to come and drop deep, which is what he does do, he comes to drop deep, let him go. You know, he's not part of the build-up. So you let him go, get him away from the danger area. And then when he's in the danger area, you've got to mark him. You've got to just be so tight. So that's where Martinez, I think, comes into it. If Varane is at the level that we've seen in the last few weeks, I think United will feel pretty confident about ha- handling Haaland and, uh, and all the pieces around him. I think the player you've got to really look at in this game is going to be one of those Gundawans or Silvers. I think they're the ones that can pick the lock, get into the box, really hurt you. We just uh, mentioned him at the top of the show, someone like Cancelo. Cancelo's the kind of player that can just ghost all over the pitch and then be, be the one that picks that ball out. So we're worrying about Haaland. We're doing stories on Haaland. It's all about Haaland. Haaland might touch a ball four times in the game, Scott, and City might win 5-0. You know? So it's kind of like, I think there are other things to worry about. And I think United will come with that mindset. I think they'll be looking more after the territory and they'll be looking after those other players as well. Speaking of mindset then, so I was going into most games in the back end of last season, maybe even from October, Mm. thinking, oh God, how bad is this going to be? I'm dreading this one. That feeling has subsided somewhat for me. Uh, How are you feeling from a fan sense ahead of this game? Are you optimistic? Do you, I, I wouldn't call myself optimistic, but I, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I can see where United can do damage here. Yeah. I think emotionally, there was a shift with Brentford, wasn't there? So I think with yeah. Brentford, there, you, all the kind of realism came back to earth and it was like, well, we had a good pre-season, uh, feel quite good about stuff, feel quite chilled, but this is a work in progress. And I think since Brentford, and obviously going through the Liverpool game, the Arsenal game, we've seen that Manchester United have made strides in a very, very short space of time. But I think when you're playing Manchester City, it's it's not a case of being optimistic. It's about you just want players to go and do their job, Scott. Yeah. So do I feel that this Man United team will go there and do their jobs technically and tactically? Well, yeah, I'm starting to feel more confident about that. And then really the challenge is to City, isn't it? It's like, well, City, this is your backyard. The pressure is on you. Everyone thinks you're the best team in the universe. So you've got to beat us. And I think in years gone by, it hasn't been like that. I think Man United have been so nervous in their own skin. They're kind of uh, the, the self-esteem in the football club has been zero. Like you just said there, you'd go to a game like this and you'd be like, I don't want to watch this. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be nasty. Yeah, you might still lose this game 3-0. You still might. Haaland might score a hat-trick and City might be world-class. City at their best are better than we are at our best. But if those two things meet, like Liverpool, like when Liverpool turned up ours, you went from losing embarrassingly to Liverpool only several months before mm-hmm. to actually beating them and looking like the better team. You know, you beat an Arsenal team who... I think I've already won the Premier League. Who, who are already yeah. champions of the Sorry, known Harry. universe as well. Sorry, <laughs> Harry, there's our, our producer behind the scenes there, who is in, indeed a huge gooner. Um, but 
I think this is the thing, isn't it? Is that things have got a lot closer between these clubs. And I think we should feel good about that at Manchester United because we're not as far away as maybe we thought we were. But at the same time, this game doesn't really represent the the course of a season or what's going to happen. I do think Ten Hag's got a grip and a handle of this squad. And I think the signings that we've seen come into the team have made us better. So even having a Casemiro in the squad, Scott, you know, it does raise the level I would hope in the training Mm -hmm. ground. You know, and yeah. this is why you bring players into your team to change the culture, also give you tactical options, but you've got to kind of have a, a more of a winner's mentality. And I think Man United are starting to develop one. I think ultimately that that is the way to approach this uh, mm. going into the game. I mean, there is every possibility that United do lose this game because City do have weapons everywhere. They've been playing at such yes. a high level in the Premier League for a number of years under Pep. And United... Is, is a work in progress. We've seen, it's, it's literally, I know it's been ages mm. uh, in terms of time, but it's only been four Premier League games that United have looked different yeah. to it's nothing. Know, four games. It's yeah. nothing at all. So it's important to remember that even though a lot of time has passed over that course um, of those four games, this is a work in progress. And if there is, um, if United are comfortably beaten, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> no, because, it's not. You know, no. Go for it, Rob. And it was a little bit like that with Liverpool and Arsenal, wasn't it? It's the same kind of thing. You know, you take those two teams, Liverpool, perennial winners the last few years, you know, lost one or two of their weapons. You know, Mane's no longer at a football club, but you've still got Salah. You're still doing stuff. You've still spent money in the market, but it feels like you're closer. Arsenal, on the other hand, Arsenal, a lot of people this time last year were writing them off. They were bottom of the league. You you know, they're they're terrible. They're an awful team. Sack Arteta, get rid of all the kids. You know, what's going on with uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang and all these things. And here you are now and everyone at Arsenal feels good about Arsenal. So I think it's the kind of thing with Man United is that you need to kind of look within and not look at these individual results as meaning anything at the moment. City are a better team than Man United. That does not mean that Man United can't go there and shock them and really shock them, like really show them something that we haven't seen in previous years. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer worked out a way of beating Pep Guardiola. Yeah, with with a team that was much worse than the current City setup and a much worse than current United setup. I think what you're going to see with Ten Hag is that, as I said, can he live with Guardiola, tactics versus tactics? It's not going to be a kind of Paul Pogba special show, do you know what I mean, where Pogba has the game of his life or whatever and does it and you go, wow, why can't Pogba do that every week? And that then becomes a narrative. I think it's got to be more about, right, you guys, can you get out on a football pitch and can you just live with this lot? You know, can you track Bernardo Silva? Can you stop Gundogan ghosting into the box? And what do you do with Kevin De Bruyne? So I think that's more interesting, I think, in terms of how we see this develop over time. And and it's also like we just said at the top of the show with Ericsson. Christian Ericsson's kind of, you know, he's gone from being a free transfer to now, I think, maybe the most important player in the team. Like, he really is. There's because, nobody else who can do what he's doing. Because, well, no one else can do what he's doing, but he is type, kind of our De Bruyne light. Mm. That's what he is. You know, I don't want to use that term. I don't want that to become a thing. But that's what it is. It's about where is your brain on the football pitch in your midfield? And how does that brain affect everything in front of it? Now, that's why Man United suddenly look better. It's because they've got this guy with this huge brain there who's running the show. So can he go to Man City and maybe take on one or two of their midfielders and show that, that he's of that calibre? I think he would play for Man City if he played for Man City. If he was at Man City, I think Ericsson would be good enough 
to be in their starting lineup. There's lots more competition there than, say, at United. But I think also he's enjoying the challenge of being at a club like United where they are rebuilding. Uh, just add one last thing to that. I remember Delo recently said, and this is kind of a lot of chat going around about how the players feel about Ten Hag and the club. Delo supposedly said the other day, we could be the set of players that get remembered of bringing United back. And that's the narrative. So the players are buying into that with the new players that have come. And that might be how they start on the front foot against Man City on Sunday. We'll see what we... I don't really know what to expect, to be honest. And that's kind of a, a, nice, uh, a nice change from what I was seeing last season and the kind of dread of having to live through another 90 minutes of Man United getting smashed by you know teams that should not be beating them. But Rob, uh, any final thoughts? We'll wrap up there. Uh, but any final thoughts from you? No, I think you've really got to be very zen about Man United at the moment. So I think going into these games is enjoyable. This is what we do it for. You know, we want these huge games. But I think also, Scott, we just want to be competitive. We want to be able to go there and feel that we've got a team that's worthy of being on a pitch with the likes of City, with the likes of Liverpool, with the other teams in and around the top floors, the Chelsea's, the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's. We want to be in the mix, don't we, at the very least. And I think that's where we are. This is still a, a you know, work in progress and we're going to have to watch how Ten Hag sketches this Manchester United project on his on his canvas to find out what he can create. And I think we've not seen even 1% of it yet. Like you just said, there's only been a few games. Can United get even better than what we've seen? Uh, but I do think they're going that way. I think they're going up at the moment. But, you know, they might have a bad game against City. You just don't know after the international break. It's always a little bit odd players come back. Some are in form, some are out of form. Um, but I think Man United will be looking forward to this game because I think, again, it gives them an opportunity to show everyone that they've got a project that's worthy of the kind of money that they've put into it at the moment. Yes, indeed. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on all of the usual platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube as well. So, yeah, with this video, if, you, if, you, if you're listening to it on a platform, go and subscribe to the channel uh, and drop a comment. Let us know what you think might happen ahead of this game as your levels of optimism change are you more excited to start watching united in big games like this one uh how are you feeling ahead of the game uh and is lisandro martinez going to pocket Erlen Haaland? let us know as well but <laughs> i feel i feel a little bit weird even suggesting that, that might happen but uh yeah head over to the channel like the video subscribe to the channel join the community leave a comment and follow us on Twitter too at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. We'll be back, I believe, next Tuesday to digest everything that's happened on Sunday afternoon. Is the Europa League back next week as well? I think it might be. They're cramming them all in. So we'll have plenty of football now with United involved to get our teeth into up until the World Cup. It's pretty thick and fast. Tons obvious. of games now. Tons right? and tons of games. We're not going to be able to keep up with it. So... Tuesdays and Fridays for the foreseeable. And thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll catch you soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.